Hey, open up your Bible with me, would you? Find, your, find the book of Philippians this morning. Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. We've been walking through the book of Philippians. That's how we do it here. We have books of the Bible. The God has given us one book, the Bible, but it's made up of 66 books. And we, we take books of Scripture and we walk through them verse by verse and talk about each of the words and what they mean. Because we understand that God desires to speak to us through His Word. He does that through His Spirit, using His Word in our life. And we've walked through now chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Philippians. We've now got to chapter 4. And I think you'll find this uh, very, very practical, this whole chapter. Last week we talked about really having peace in our relationships. We talked about how we get along with other people and how that can happen. Okay, actually the week before last. Now, this morning we're going to talk about something that I know a lot of people deal with, and that's the area of anxiety. Anxiety. And we're going to try to define that today biblically, what that means, and what the Lord has to say about that. But in a broader sense, what we're dealing with here in the book of Philippians is is something that um, people struggle to understand. Really what we're talking about is the command for us to live with joy. The command of joy. Now that already causes a bit of a a, a struggle in people's minds. How could we be commanded to have joy? I thought joy was simply a response to what I was experiencing. So that you're telling me, Pastor Lowell, that the Bible commands joy. Yes, that is one of my main points today. You are commanded to have joy. And so you should be having questions that should come to your mind. If you believe that, you should have questions. If joy is a command, how how can I be commanded to feel something? Am I to lie? How am I commanded to have an emotion? How does this work? Well, hopefully we'll we'll understand that a little better. But to get us there, I want to start out and remind you of, of some truths. And to get you there, I want to tell you a story about something that happened to me back when I was at basic training a long time ago when I was a young man. I remember I was at basic training, United States Army, and, and those of you who have done any kind of military service, you know something that they, they like to do um, is they hand us this M16 weapon, and at this point, they had us holding it over our head like this, okay, straight up in the air. And now that doesn't sound like much. I don't know what an M16 weighs. I bet you there's many people in the room that can tell me right now, but I don't know, okay? But I know this, it was heavy. And we're holding it up in the air with your arms straight up in the air, and everybody in the room is, is doing that. And, you know, you can last, you know, like 30, 60, 90 seconds. You're like, man, this is a breeze. This is a nice break. But after just a short amount of time, you know what happens. Your muscles fatigue, and you start to shake. You start to shake. And I tell you, after just a few minutes, it requires everything you have to hold this M16 up in the air. And I tell you, I can remember this event. Um, At this point for our platoon, I I was filling the role of squad leader, which was kind of a big deal. If you haven't been in the military, that's a big deal when you're in basic training. So I'm a squad leader. I'm holding M16 up. I'm I'm standing at some kind of position of maybe parade rest. I don't know what we were, attention. I'm not really sure. But I'm holding the gun up in the air, the weapon up in the air. And the drill sergeant comes over to me. He's right up in my face now. He's got that big round hat on. He pokes you in the face sometimes with the bill of the hat just to mess with you. He's right up in my face. He's saying, Private McDonald, you want to put that weapon down, don't you? 
Like, no, drill sergeant. Just like the movies, you know. <laughs> you want to put that weapon down? No, drill sergeant, I don't. And he walks away and yells at somebody else. And he comes back over to me, and now my arms are starting to break down a little further. Starting to droop a little further. You want to put it down, don't you, private? No, drill sergeant. Go ahead, put it down. Put down my weapon. Go ahead, drill. Dare you, dare, dare you, private, put it down. He's up in my face. I remember the breaking moment. I mean, my, a lot of guys now drop their weapons. I mean, you know, you just, it's amazing how that happens. But I'm shaking. It's probably like down to here, you know. And I remember he said to me, you keep that weapon in the air, private. And I said this. I said, I want to, drill sergeant. I want to keep the weapon in the air. But I just can't do it. And this cool thing happened. He grabbed the M16 from my hands, brings it down. He says, platoon, attention. Everybody. And he pulls them all in around me. It's like one of these really cool moments. He said, did you hear what Private McDonald just said? And I'm thinking I'm in trouble. I'm like expecting, you know, I'm going to do push-ups. He said, he wants to, but he just can't do it. He said, that's what I want from you men. I don't care whether you're taking a hill or charging a groove, whatever. You give me all you got. So now he gives me back the weapon, okay? Holds it up, my, up, up in the air, grabs ten guys around me. It's like Moses in the Old Testament now. And they all come around, and they grab hold of my arms, and we all hold it up in the air. And he's making the point that, you know, together we can do this and all that kind of stuff. It was, it was kind of cool. But I think a lot of us, we view joy almost in that way. Like, I want to drill sergeant, but I can't. I want to have joy, drill sergeant, but I can't. I can't do it. What are you going to do? You wonder, you say, are we really commanded to have joy? I'm trying to overwhelm you in your worship notes. Let me put some Old Testament passages up on the screen that are flat-out commandments to have joy. You shall rejoice, shout for joy. Let the earth rejoice, the Old Testament has to say to us. And I gave you a whole host of references. You can look them up if you want to. The Gospels, Jesus says the same thing, similar things. He says we're leap for joy. Leap for joy now. Rejoice and be glad, Jesus says, and no one will take your joy from you. And the rest of the New Testament letters, they continue that theme. They continue that theme that joy is a command. You see, joy is not something that a few fortunate individuals get to experience. You know, you land the right job, you get lucky and find the right spouse, you hit the lottery or something, and now you're going to have joy. This is not how the Bible speaks of joy. Joy is given as a command. It is not something that some people have. It is something that all people are called to have. There's a difference. There's a difference. Let's read together Philippians chapter 4 and see if you don't see it here. I called you to Philippians chapter 4. Let's jump in at verse number 4 and read the Word of God here. Paul says in verse 4, chapter 4, Philippians, 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, let me just tell you, rejoice is just the imperative verb, have joy. That's all it is. That's all it is. You are to, we are being called here to have joy. Not have it given to you because you got lucky, but to have joy in our lives. Rejoice in the Lord always. And just for emphasis, again I will say, rejoice. And now then Paul is going to describe really a process, a mindset, what we're to have in our lives so that this joy is experienced and evidenced. Verse number five, let your reasonableness reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, the question is, I mean, it's very puzzling. How are we being commanded to have an emotion? That's what we've been driven to here. We're being commanded to have an emotion. Well, I want to point you to an ultimate example. We'll get back to this passage, but I want to take just a minute and look at the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's the one we follow. I want to take a minute and look at Jesus Christ, and I want you to go in your mind's eye to the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that scene? The night that Jesus was betrayed. The night before he's going to be arrested by the Roman soldiers in just a matter of minutes. He's there in the garden. This is a scene from from the movie The Passion of the Christ, if if you don't recognize it. That that movie has a a lot of things that were right, a lot of things that were not so great, but this scene was excellent. Jesus is there in the garden. He's overwhelmed with what is ahead. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to experience a wicked death. But even more so than that, he's going to experience the consequences of our sin. It is, he is going to experience God's judgment for all of mankind. And it is almost more than the Lord Jesus Christ can handle. And he's there in the garden and he prays. You remember his prayer? He says, God, if there's any other way, if this cup can be taken from me, then let that be. But not my will, but yours. Mark, in in Matthew's account, it, it describes that kind of prayer two or three times. In Mark's account, he cries out to the Lord, Abba, Father. That's what a a child calls his daddy. So Jesus there praying, anguish, heavy, coming to the cross, coming to the judgment for all sin, cries out, Abba, Father. It's it's so heavy. What is coming is, is causing him such grief that Dr. Luke says he begins to sweat drops of blood. It's not the only time it's ever happened in human history. 
Doctors describe other times when under extreme stress, the catenaries in the, in the, in the skin, right near the surface of the skin, can burst under heavy stress and then mix with the sweat, and it looked like you're sweating blood, and that's what happened to Jesus that night. There's a Greek term for it that doctors use. I don't remember what it is right now, but it happens, and it happened to Jesus that very night. It is, it is so heavy that Luke also records that the angels came and strengthened Jesus. Now, that's what happened that night in the garden. Listen to how the author of Hebrews describes what happened there, though. Keep your finger on Philippians and go with me to the book of Hebrews. Turn right, okay? Go to the book of Hebrews. Go to chapter 5. Chapter 5 of Hebrews. It says in verse number 7, In the days of his flesh, so when Jesus was on the earth, incarnation, he's living as a perfect man, before the ascension, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. He prayed with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death. And He was heard. He was heard. Jump over to chapter 12 now, verse number 2. Jump over to Hebrews 12. So He's praying there. Hebrews talks about it. But look in verse number 2 of chapter 12. There's an interesting statement here that's made. Hebrews 12, verse 2. The author here says, To us, to all believers, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We see in the garden the ultimate example of heavy anguish, of heavy sorrow, of challenge, of just an unbelievable magnitude. And through that, Jesus had joy. Jesus had joy. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Thank you. So in the midst of this struggle, there was joy there. If anything we can see, we can see that the impossible idea, we can understand that through the impossible, God can do a work. Okay, go back to Philippians now. Go to Philippians, back to Philippians chapter 4. And let's see this, this impossible truth that we're called to in chapter 4. Rejoice, Paul says. Chapter 4, verse number 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Can I just mention this is the third time that Paul has given this imperative? Imperative is a, is a verb that means you go do. That's what it means. Okay? That's an imperative. Third time, Jesus said, rejoice. Third time, he said, you. Paul has said, the Lord Jesus said through Paul, you have joy. Have joy. Somebody said that, that joy is defiant. It's defiant. And what they meant by that was... Even when you're in it, when you're in the anguish, you defy the thing that you're in, and you have joy. All right, let's walk through this and and try to understand what's going on here. Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reason must be known to everyone 
The Lord is at hand. Okay, the first key I want to share with you to maintain joy, to have joy no matter what you're in. The first thing I want to challenge you with and kind of point you to is this. You need to remember the eternal perspective. Remember the eternal perspective. Now, I know there are people here, I mean, as I look around the room, I know some of you have a lot of things that are, that are heavy on your life. You know, from sickness to relational health to employment problems, there are things that, that can rob us of joy. But the first thing Paul is saying here is, and it's coming underneath the, the heading of reasonableness. But I want to call that an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective. Now, this word reasonableness is interesting. You see it there in verse number five? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now, your translation may say something very different. Let me tell you about the different words that are used to translate this word reasonableness. Your translation may say gentle spirit. It may say considerate. It may say moderation. It may say grace. It may say forbearance. So what this indicates to us is this. Now listen, this is an important hermeneutical principle. It's an important thing to understand in in reading your Bible. When the translators struggle to tell you what a word is. See, the translators are trying to communicate to us what this Greek word means. And different translations try in about five or six different ways to tell us what it is. And they keep falling short. You know why that is? Because this word that we are to have in us is packed full of meaning. You can't represent it with just one word. You cannot represent what Paul is calling us to, and it is the key to joy. If you don't have joy, this is the key. And what it is, is it's a mind that says, I know it's not of this world. That all of our existence does not boil down to right now. Paul is calling that reasonableness. I call it tethered. What Paul is calling us to do here is to be tethered to truth. You know what tethered means? I'll tell you what it means. Take a rope, tie it around your waist or your ankle or something like that, okay? And take a stake and drag that thing in the ground and now you're tethered to the ground. You can't get very far, okay? I can't get away from the ground. I can't get away from this truth. I'm tethered to it. And because I'm tethered to it, everything is different. Paul is saying here, you be tethered to the truth about God. The world comes flying at us at 100 miles an hour. And the version that trips you up might be different than the version that trips me up. But we all get tripped up by a world that opposes God. And what Paul is saying here is, tether yourself to truth. And the truth that he wants us to tether ourselves to is the Lord is at hand. God is at hand. Now, the Lord is at hand can really have two meanings. It can have two meanings. It can mean that he's coming at any time. His coming is at hand. It might be right now. And the truth is, it might be. Jesus will come back at any time. But that's not the only thing that it means. It also means that he is close. It means that he is close. And I believe in the context here, if you look at it with me, 
What Paul is saying is, I do not believe he's telling us that Jesus is coming back. Not in this passage. What he's saying is, he's close. You say, why do you say that? Because as you read the rest of the verses, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything about prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Folks, he's not taking it away. You know how you get tired of things that are of the world and you feel like you're, you feel like you're swimming upstream? You feel like you're the only one who's, who's living right? You feel like you're the only one who's, who's trying to honor the Lord? You feel like you're the only one at work who's staying committed to your spouse? You're the only one who's going to love your children? You're the only one who keeps things right? You feel like that? Listen, that's not going away. Not, not till Jesus comes back. That's not going away. So he says here, the Lord is at hand, and it's not going to change. The earth is going, the people of the world are going to be opposed to God. It's just going to happen. But we need to stay, we need to stay tethered to the truth. That no, you're not alone. No, you're not from this world. No, it doesn't all just amount to this place. It's not about the biggest house. It's not about the nicest car. It's not about the nicest body. It's not about any of that stuff. That's not what it's about. It's not about your health. It's not about your wealth. It's not about your prosperity. That's not what it's about. It's about God. We must stay tethered to that truth. That's where you find joy. That's where you find it. Tethered to the truth that I'm here I am in this world, but I'm not of it. And he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And I have the ultimate example of Jesus coming and living on this earth and glorifying God. Right now, um, I'm I'm reading a book uh, about Lewis and Clark, okay? Pastor Brock, you got to let him know I referenced a history book, yeah. I'm reading a book about Lewis and Clark. These are the guys that in the early 1800s, they tried to find a, a, a water route to the Pacific Ocean. Okay, they left from um, St. Louis, basically went up the Mississippi River, trying to get to, to the Pacific Coast, all right? They come across the Cheyenne Indians, all right? These Native Americans. And they encounter these special trained Indian warriors. Let me tell you about them. They're called the dog soldiers, you ever heard that term? Let me tell you what a dog soldier is. They're like the Green Berets in the early 1800s for the Cheyenne. They, they take an oath that they will always fight to the death. They, when, they, when they become part of this dog soldier clan, they're taught a song. It's the death song. Remember in Jeremiah Johnson? Some of you remember that movie? Remember when he was going to kill that Native American guy and he started singing that song? That was a death song. That, was, that must have been a dog soldier. That's what the dog soldiers did. And they would learn this song. And when they, were, when they were at death in a battle, they would sing that song. Now that's cool. But let me tell you about an even cooler part. They had this rope that they made out of braided elk skin. Okay? 10, 12 feet in length. And they had an arrow, actually a couple of them, they called them spirit arrows. And here's what they did 
when they were in battle. They would tie that leather strap around their ankle. And they tie the other end around the spear arrow. You know, the, the soldiers are coming at them to wipe out their whole tribe. And they take that arrow, all the dog soldiers, can you picture this in your mind? And they drive it in the ground. And they stay there, tethered to the ground, and fight to the death. Listen, folks, this is what Jesus is calling us to. Be reasonable. Have have grace towards the world. Forbear with what you see. It ain't changing. But you stay tethered to the truth. I will not bend. I will not bow. I will not break. I'm living for Christ. And the world may hate him in me, yes. It may look like them hating me, but they're really hating him. And I will stand here, tethered to the ground, like a dog soldier. And I will live for Christ. Listen, you you run away from that stake. You cut that band and run away from the truth that God is at hand, and all your joy stays there, tethered to the ground. That's where joy is Found. The Lord is at hand. He is close. He is real. And you are His. And everything is different then. See, some things haven't changed at all. But other things are completely different. Now, Paul gets just real in verse number six. Let's keep going, okay? So we're pinned to the ground now, okay? So what do we do? Well, the Lord is at hand. We keep that reasonable thought in our mind. And he says in verse number six, do not be anxious about anything. Man, that is pretty broad, is it not? Come on, let me be anxious about some things. No, do not be anxious about anything. Now, what is anxious? What is anxiety? I mean, we know all about that. We know about that. And and a lot of us deal with anxiety. Some people deal with anxiety, I I, I certainly believe, because of maybe just a chemical imbalance. I mean, some people deal with diabetes, some people deal with anxiety. I understand that. Some people deal with anxiety because it's almost a learned behavior. They've they've allowed themselves to continue to just be anxious, and and now it's it's almost a habit for them. But many of us, I mean, I think those two examples are off, they're, they're really just, they're rare. Most of us, Anxiety is quite honestly a choice. It's a choice. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Now this word, again, I, I hate to do, always do this to you, but this word is fascinating. I'm going to tell you about this word anxious, what it, what it literally means. I'll quote a guy named Vine. Okay? He is like one of the experts on what the Greek words mean. Here's what he says. Vine states that this word is connected to the word that means to draw in different directions, to distract, to cause care by, listen, dividing, ripping, or tearing apart. That's what anxious is. So let me illustrate it. Anxiety is this. I know truth about God. Here it is. And I'm in the world. 
anxiety is these two things ripping apart, stretching out to where that leather tether might break. The one that I've pinned to the ground, I know this truth about God, but I see these things around me and it's causing anxiety in me and it's ripping me apart. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't let this thing rip you apart. The Lord is at hand. I've been thinking about what is it that rips us apart. Let me run through some things. I mean, I guess just from personal experience. Here's what it looks like. One thing that rips us apart, quite quite honestly, is just worrying. Worrying. Worry rips me apart. You see, I know that God has my future in his hand. That's this truth. But here's this other truth. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what I can do to change it. And so these two things start ripping apart. God is in control, and there are things in my life that I can't control. And they stretch, and I get ripped apart in the middle. Worry. What did Jesus say about that? Do not worry about tomorrow. You worry about this day. There's enough to worry about in this day. You don't need the worries for tomorrow. The Lord is at hand. Another thing we're anxious about sometimes is envy. Envy causes anxiety. Here's what it looks like. I know God has my best in mind, and God's going to give me everything I need. God's going to give me everything I need for my life. He's promised me that. That's this truth. But then I see you, and you see me, and we see each other. And you have something that I don't have, and I want it. It's a sin called envy. And now this truth about God, that He loves me, that He gives me the best, that He has the best in store for me, is now challenged by my flesh, and I'm stretched apart. It's anxiety. It's anxiousness. Envy. Worry. Envy. What else? Bitterness. Bitterness. Some have been wronged. Some are being wronged. Present tense. You got somebody wrong in you right now. And in your heart, there's this bitterness. You resent what they've done. And you're being torn apart. Because you know that God has forgiven you. You know that. You know God has your best in mind. And God is going to do good to you. And and, in that good means being molded to the image of Christ. But somebody near you has done you wrong. And so these two things are pulling apart. Do you see it? Do you see it? These things resonate with me. And then lastly, just for right now, guilt. Guilt causes anxiety. I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm forgiven in Christ. If I'm in Jesus, I'm forgiven of my sin. But in my life, I might have this area where I'm still still violating the Lord. And so I've got this ripping apart of anxiety. The solution for these things is Christ. Listen, worry, envy, bitterness, guilt. 
These are not God's plan for you. And when you sit there, when you tether yourself to those things, when you worry about things that you have no control over anyway, when you have envy towards other people and what they had and what they're experiencing, when you have bitterness about what other people have done to you, when you have sin in your life that you're cherishing as yours and you're protecting, your joy is gone. And you sit down in anxiety. No wonder you're miserable. No wonder. If that's you, no wonder. Turn to Jesus, folks. See, here's the thing. This is not a call to paint on joy. That's not what this is. See, I'm not saying hold the weapon higher. I'm not saying hold the weapon harder. I'm not saying hold the weapon with stronger arms. That is not what I'm saying. That's not what Paul was saying. Paul is trying to help us understand that when we submit to Christ, understand that He is at hand and allow Him to have the worry, allow Him to have the bitterness, allow Him to have the envy, allow Him to have the sin, guilt, when we allow that to go to Him, He places in us this joy. Watch it come in the passage. Watch it come. Go back. Watch what happens here. Do not be anxious about anything. There's the imperative. Don't be anxious about anything. Reject the anxious responses. And look where he goes. Instead, instead, depend upon the Lord. But in everything... Can I just say this? Just to, just to pause for a minute. Do you see all the widespreading words that Paul is saying? You know your example that you think, maybe I'm okay with this one? See, every time somebody talks this way, the way I've been talking, here's what everybody thinks. You're not the only person thinking this. Here's what everybody thinks. This is true for 99% of the population, and I'm the one. That's what we all think. We all are sitting there thinking, myself included, as I'm listening to me, I'm thinking, and you are thinking, this is true. Except this one situation that I'm in. If you knew the situation I was in, you would realize joy is impossible here. We're all doing that. But look look at the words. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. These words cover all. So what do we do? We're already recognizing that the Lord is at hand. Don't forget that. But now, Paul calls us to a couple things in verse number 6. Let me read it. But in everything, by prayer and supplication... With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So what we have here is depending upon the Lord. He says three words here. Prayer, supplication, request. He uses three different words for our intimacy with God. For our connection with the Lord. First what he says is prayer. See it there? but in everything by prayer. Now this word prayer is a broad general word for any communication that you have with the Lord. As a matter of fact, often it's used for a place of prayer. Often in the Bible, it's a place of prayer. 
So this is a wide word that just means your connection with God. So when you have anxiety, remember the Lord is at hand, meaning He's close, and you have Him with you. Yesterday, my wife wife and I went for a ride. You see, our kids are away. Wow! Going to retreat. Awesome time. Parents of teens and children, your day will come. Ours was yesterday, and it was lovely. So we went for a long ride. We ended up in a neighborhood that was like, look at these houses. Like, good gracious. It's big enough for like a church building. It's big enough for like 12 of my family to live in. Huge mansions down near the city. Riding around. And I'm telling you, I felt it. Anxiety. Why don't I have? Why don't I have that? Why do they have that? And I don't. Does that sound familiar? And then I remembered. And we said to each other, man, I can't wait to be with the Lord. I cannot wait to be out of this place. I'm here now and I will be all here. Tether me to the ground. But I can't wait when all those trappings of the world... And listen, if you've got a big house... That ain't the world. The world is right here being envious. All right? Not necessarily, at least. The world in my car that day was me and my heart. But I'm tethered to the ground here. But I'm longing for the Lord to come. You know what that was? That was prayer. That was connection with God. We're riding down the road, and the Lord is in the car with us. That is connection. That is what this word prayer means. Awareness of God. But that's not all he says. Then he says supplication. Now what supplication means, it's a synonym with the word request. Supplication, request, same word practically. And what it is, it's, it's, a, it's a plea. It's, it's an ask of God. So when we're feeling anxious, we are to remember his presence and we are to make request of God. Your request matters though. Your request matters. Let me tell you the wrong request in my car yesterday. God, give me a big house like that one. That's the wrong request. James says, you ask and you receive not because you ask amiss. You only want to spend it on yourselves. That's not the request. That's not the request. You got somebody that did you wrong. You're bitter about it. They wronged you. Maybe they really, really wronged you. Wronged you in a way, like if I walked in the room, I would beat them down with a baseball bat. That kind of wrong, okay? Maybe somebody wronged you in a wicked way. Listen, the request is, God, it's not. God, wipe them out. Kill them. That's not the request. That's not it. So what's the request? The passage will show us. Guys, God's word does this. It helps us to understand. Look at where the author goes. This is the request. Watch it. Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The request is, God, give me peace as I'm here. Guard my mind. Guard my heart. I'm not made for this stuff. So practical. So real. 
God, give me a heart that's pleased by You. Give me a mind that knows that You're first. God, give me a soul that worships nothing else but You. That's the request. That is the request of a believer who is tethered to the ground, is reasonable, knows God is at hand, is in the midst of a flow of river running against them of worldliness. God, protect my heart and my mind. And look what God promises. He promises rest in His peace. Read it with me. But in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know what I love to hear people say? I love when I'm talking with somebody about the Lord or about you know, God's work in their life, like one of you. Or maybe when I happen to say something like this, it's so cool to hear this. When somebody will say something like this, I can't explain it, but I know God was doing it. I can't explain it, but I know the Lord was doing it. That's that peace. That's what that means. It surpasses all understanding. Surpasses the overflow. It's like, you know, if scientists were to watch you and, you know, clipboard and all this stuff, and they'd be like, hmm... I think we understand why he has peace. No, it goes beyond that. It goes beyond that. It surpasses understanding. And this is a supernatural miracle that God does in your life. With thanksgiving, God, I thank you that you're real. I thank you that you are here. Give me a peace now. Guard my heart. Guard my mind. And the Lord does it. And then... That's where you find joy. There it is. There it is. I believe that's what many of us want. Many people run after so many false idols, trying to find something that feels like joy. And the only source of joy, according to this passage, the only source of joy is Jesus Christ is God. His relationship with Him, awareness of His presence, submitting my heart and my mind to Him, He brings a peace that surpasses all understanding. This isn't a new concept. I want to show you Psalm 1611 up on the screen. It's a great verse. Some of you should memorize this. You struggle, if you struggle to find joy, if you struggle with anxiety, if you, you struggle, it's a great passage. You make known to me the path, the psalmist writes. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. That's the words of a reasonable man. A reasonable woman. One tethered to truth. Let's be that. Pray with me. Father in heaven, Lord, I I ask you to do this work in our life. Lord, this is something that goes beyond our understanding. And I I know that people would almost scoff at our idea that a supernatural, supernatural, invisible God can do this work in our hearts and in our minds. But God, we know the truth of Your Word.
We know the presence of your Spirit. We know the salvation we have in your Son. So Lord, I pray for the anxious one here. Lord, there are people here that are probably struggling with anxiety. And we're looking for an answer. And again, and again, the answer is you, our great God. It's in his name we pray. Amen.